Hello, everyone, and welcome to the We Believe podcast. My name is Brother James, and today we have a special guest with us, Pastor Johnny Che. Uh, today is uh, going to be a unique uh, recording of the podcast because Pastor Che actually just recently visited one of our missionaries in the Amazon basin, uh, missionary the Hernandez family to Brazil. And so we wanted to sit down with him and, and talk about uh, his journey there. He was there for about a week. And so, Pastor, first of all, uh, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It is very good to be back. Very good to be back. Uh, as I understand, I think he, you know, kissed the soil when you landed back in the U.S. Is I was right? close. I was close to doing it. And uh, people were staring at me enough with the fact that I was yeah. like down on my knees and just feeling the tile floor. Uh, so no, I didn't get a kiss there, but, uh, definitely good to be back in the United States. I guess to start off, um, maybe if you could just give us an overview of the trip, you know, as a whole. So in a lot of ways, it was not what I expected. Yeah. In some ways, it was exactly what I expected. The location that the Hernandezes are in is extremely unique. It has a strange beauty to it. Mm. There's people everywhere. Uh, the population, I would say, just within a 10 to 15 minute car ride of them is about 120,000 people. And I mean, you just see the people out every day. You know, here in America, we just stay home. I feel. Yeah. And maybe we go out on Fridays or maybe we go out on Saturdays. Uh, but they are just out everywhere except between noon and two siesta. in the afternoon because they do their siesta and pretty much everything closes except for gas stations and grocery stores. Uh, so everybody is just out and about. So a lot of the things that I was expecting, the food vendors, just the noise of everything, the hustle and bustle, but the things that I wasn't expecting was uh, just the overall, I guess, feel of the city. And I don't know if that makes sense. There was just a, a different spiritual feel there hmm. than there is here. And at first I really didn't notice it. When I got there, I think I was just soaking everything in and I was excited, almost like a tourist being there and just wanting to try everything. But then when I opened my ministry eyes and started seeing the souls that were there and the, I mean, really the only word I could use for it is oppression. There's a, there's spiritual oppression there and they are deeply searching for something that I was not expecting at all. And it made me appreciate very much the work that Brother Hernandez is doing. Yeah. And just for our listeners, in case you know, anybody that's listening that doesn't know, the Hernandez family is actually sent from our church. So <clears throat> we certainly uh, support many missionary families. I'd, I'd say, is it 30? I, I, I don't know the exact number. We are right over 30. We're at 31 okay. right now. So I was close. So, and, and <clears throat> But the uh, Brother Hernandez and his family um, are actually sent from our church. And so, Pastor, as you made that trip down there, and it was it's for a, a conference they were having, um, what was the, yes. the what was the kind of the theme of that? It was a family conference, okay, but it was also mixed with their 16 year anniversary, their oh, ministry anniversary wow. of that church. 
But I had messaged Brother Hernandez and asked if there was a certain theme, and he asked me to preach on the family. Okay. And uh, so I preached the first night, Friday, on the church and the need for the church, and then kind of uh, set up the rest of the conference by saying the church will only be as strong as the families. And then Saturday, I preached to the men and the husbands. Sunday morning, I preached to the ladies. And then Sunday night, I preached on the home as a whole and the stand that we need to take. Great attendance every single night. Uh, I think it was 130 the first night. And then the next nights, we were hovering right around 200. Wow. The Lord blessed with seven souls saved on Saturday night. And then Sunday night was a battle. I have never seen spiritual warfare on that level on the Sunday night service. Hmm. Nobody walked the aisle, but at the end of my trip, one person from that service that was there had reached out to Brother Hernandez and said, I haven't been able to sleep since Sunday night. Yeah. That was at 1230 in the morning, and they called him over to their house, and he led him to the Lord around 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. Hmm. So eight souls saved from what I understand. So you had the opportunity to preach there with the uh, language barrier. Did you find it uh, a little bit of a struggle maybe? Or yes, how did that go? for sure. For sure it was a struggle. Now, he is an incredible interpreter. Uh, there, are, there are two types of people. There are interpreters and there are interrupters. He was not an interrupter. He was an incredible interpreter. And one of the fun things was he just looked at me and said, look, it's going to be hard to get into it the first couple minutes. Uh, but whatever you do, just don't stop. He said, if you say something and you don't hear me repeating, it's because you haven't given me enough. If I look at you and kind of give you this look like, whoa, man, <laughs> it's like that means that you gave me too much and I might need you to repeat a little bit, but that never happened. But then he said, oh, and here's one last thing. I will do whatever you do. So I had fun with that. So the very yeah. the took very, some liberties with that. Oh, one. yeah. So the very first night I went up there just to kind of break the ice and said, well, your pastor said he was going to do anything I do. So I went up to the edge of the platform and said, so I'm going to do a front flip off. And people were all looking at me <laughs> like I was actually going to do it. And Brother Hernandez didn't know if I was serious either. Uh, but I didn't do it. And the people laughed a little bit. But it was definitely different. And I realized pretty much from the first five minutes of my first message that there was no way I was going to be able to follow my notes. I just needed to have the structure in my mind, what I was going to say. So I just asked the Lord to help me to get my point across as quickly as possible. And I think it went really well. It was difficult, though, because as a preacher, you want to be able to look out and gauge people. And they weren't looking at me. They were looking at him. But they were very kind. They always came up after the service and they would say, I really needed that, I really enjoyed it, uh, or they would ask questions, which did show me that they were listening. A different experience, for sure. We talk about, especially in our Wednesday night services, but, but in all of our services, about praying for our missionaries and knowing that, that they're going through things that we've probably never gone through and may never go through. Give us a few realities about the situation when somebody's in a country like that, especially near the Amazon basin, where they don't have a lot of the, just the basic things that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm talking about first, I mean, first off, 
the, our missionaries themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but even the people, but sp- yeah. specifically, you know, the missionaries that we send. What are the, some of the struggles that they deal with just just on a day to day basis? I mean, things that we would probably just be like, I mean, that's a normal thing. Exactly. There are so many things that we just take for granted here. If you want something to eat, you go to the grocery store and you just get it. Yeah. Um, and if it's not there, you go up to somebody and why isn't it here? I mean, it's just very rare for us to not have what we want now. Even if we're ordering something online, what, it doesn't come in tomorrow? You know, what in the world? So he told a, he told a story one time of a missionary who came down to help. And this is going to lead into my main answer to your question of what is the main struggle that they have. A missionary that came down, one of the first questions they asked him was, does Amazon deliver here? (laughs) That is the biggest struggle. The biggest struggle for, for him. Now, he never said this, but I could see it. And putting myself in his position, this is what I believe would be the biggest struggle. You have to have the right mindset. You have to understand you're not in America anymore. Right. The things that, like you said, we just kind of don't even realize are things. You don't complain about it. You don't try to make it into a country that it's not. That's just the way that it is. And if you don't have the right mindset about it, then you are going to have a difficult time there. But I've never seen somebody so grounded Hmm. in where they were. For instance, I think the, the week before I came down, they went through a huge work week to get everything ready, and they installed these new drainage pipes on the outside of the church and even cemented portions of the pipe in so that nobody would steal it. Yeah. Spent a lot of time, spent a lot of money. And one of the nights we were there, we realized it was flooding inside the church, just coming in on the side of the church. And he went outside and on the side of the building, there's maybe a two foot gap between his building and the building next to it. And somebody had crawled back in there and found about a 20 foot span of pipe that was exposed and cut it and stole it. Wow. And he came back inside and he just said, well, they stole our pipe. We'll just have to replace it. And that was his, that was his spirit toward it. He wasn't upset. He's just, that's, that's the way that it is there. And I did ask him at some point, and I said, when you have missionaries that come down, how well do they, what's the word I'm looking for, acclimate? Yeah, like adapt. Or, yes, yeah, yes, ac- that's the word. Yeah. How well do they adapt to living here? He said it's all about their mindset. And he said more so than the husband, it's the wife. How does the wife adapt? Right. He said because even if the husband adapts, but the wife doesn't, the husband is not going to be able to focus. And Miss Stephanie is just one of the sweetest ladies who has taken everything in stride. Uh, But all of that to answer your question, the biggest struggle that I think for an American would be to realize that you're not in America anymore. You are on the mission field. You don't have the luxuries that we have here. And I say luxuries, you don't even realize that they are luxuries until you get there. Uh, But he's taken it in stride. He lives among the people. He could, I, I guarantee you, he could very easily come home and gain some more support and go and live in a nicer area in a gated community where he's out of touch and he would probably feel safer, but he doesn't do that. He wants to be accessible. Yeah. He wants them to see this is our pastor and he lives as if he were born here and he does it and the people appreciate it. Right. And that is why he is so effective in his ministry. Mm-hmm.
were spending a week there, what would you say is the overall reception of the gospel with the people there? There is a very Catholic cloud over the city. People who have been baptized as an infant, people who, again, just like America, they say that they're Catholic, but they don't really know why. And even though they say they're Catholic, they're not Catholic. Maybe they go to church on some special days, but there's that Catholic theology, which is, it's not Jesus alone. Yes, Jesus came down and he died on the cross and they know the gospel, but it's not Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus my works. It's Jesus plus my religion. Uh, It's Jesus and Mary, all of those things. So you can preach on Jesus and Jesus loves you and they'll shake their head. And Jesus died for you, they'll shake their head. Jesus wants to save you from hell, they'll shake their head. But to get them to understand the gospel is not just putting Jesus on the shelf, it's clearing off the shelf and putting Jesus there and Jesus alone. That's the hang-up for them. But they will sit down and they will allow you to have that conversation and for you just to openly question the Catholic doctrine And have you ever thought of this? Have you ever thought of that? Bringing up all these areas where the Catholic doctrine is wrong. In America, people just get offended and you're questioning my belief. I don't do that to you. You can have your truth and I can have mine. But what I saw down there is they know the Bible is the truth. And so when you show them for the first time that the Bible is not saying what they have been taught, they don't get offended They kind of sit back and they get this look on their face like nobody has ever told them this before. And at that point, they either say, I'll think about it. Or I saw a couple times they look at Brother Jonathan and say, tell me more. There was one man there that we're still praying for. His name is Pedro. Very Catholic. Said that he was baptized as a baby. Brother Hernandez right away said, you didn't get baptized. You just got wet. That was it. You took a bath as a baby. And he didn't get offended. He just said, prove that to me. Mm. And so he showed him an axe with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Tell me more. Uh, He took him to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And even though I don't understand Spanish, I could hear Brother Jonathan say, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call. It doesn't say for whosoever shall be baptized. It doesn't say for whosoever shall go to church. It doesn't say for whosoever shall do anything but call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Pedro looked back and said, then according to the Bible, I need to trust Jesus. And he said, yes. But then Pedro said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do that. Mm. I know that I need to, but I'm not ready. Now we are still praying for him. And every single day he has reached out to brother Jonathan and said, I can't sleep. I know what I need to do, but I'm not ready to do it. So we need to keep praying for him. They are very open. But when you show them that the Bible does not match what they have been taught, it kind of rocks their world a little bit. That's interesting. I've, I've heard people talk. There's some other countries, maybe, maybe India, for example, where it doesn't matter what you say. The, they're, they're just pretty closed off to everything. And, even, I mean, I've heard it so much to say that they just there's a lack of trust. I mean, they don't trust their neighbor. It's a very, yes. It's a very interesting place, and you've got places like South America and Brazil. Seems like it's another great example of that, where there are very religious people, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it seems like they do trust God more than man, in a way. And if mm-hmm. you can show, and that, that's kind of what I'm hearing through you, is that that 
look, if, if the Bible says it, I'm going to have to take a step back and, and, and maybe rethink a little bit and because I, I believe God. But again, you've got to, you still have to get them from just this belief that to belief in Jesus Christ, right? There still has to have that, that barrier just like That's with anything exactly else. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Because if you were to ask anybody down there, do you believe Jesus is the Savior of the world? I believe that they would say yes. But preaching there is bringing them to a point of decision. And when you present them with, okay, you say that you believe, what are you doing about it? Right. You can look at a chair and say, I trust that that chair will hold my weight. But you've never sat down in the chair. And they've been taught their whole lives that Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is God and they believe all of that. Okay, what are you doing about it? Have you personally put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And when they realize, oh, oh you're telling me there's more that it should come out in my life, that it should bring action. When you tell them faith without works is dead, mm. even the devils believe and tremble. But what are we doing about it? Mm. And it's taking them from the head knowledge to the heart knowledge because what's in your heart is going to come out. What's in your head can stay there and rattle around for the rest of your life. Right. Um, I feel like preaching in America, you have to argue the gospel. There, and I could be wrong because I was only there for a week, but there, there wasn't much arguing. It was just presenting it in a deeper way. Okay, you say that Jesus is who he says he is. That has to come out in something. As far as, uh, you know, witnessing, um, oftentimes when we go out soul winning here, sometimes we'll face opposition maybe people don't want us to be in this area uh do you is there a lot of that there from what you could see in the week that you were there is there any pushback maybe from government or opposition from businesses or homesteads no i didn't see that at all in fact one of the first things that i noticed when brother jonathan was walking around everyone was just pastor pastor and waving at him and i would ask does he go to your church oh no no, they just, I've witnessed to them before or I mean, just crazy stories. I, oh, one time I was walking late at night and I saw three men walking towards me and I just knew I was about to be mugged and one of them started lifting up his shirt and then that man over there ran out from around the corner and said, pastor, come with me and grabbed him and threw him on the back of his motorcycle and you know, him out of there. Yeah. And what Brother Jonathan says, for all I know, he saved my life. Mm. He pointed him out and he's, I, I don't know that he's homeless, but every single day he was standing outside one of the grocery stores there. And whenever Brother Jonathan would park his car, he would go next to the grocery store and grab a piece of cardboard about three feet by five feet. And he would lay it across Brother Jonathan's windshield to stop the sun from coming in. And Brother Jonathan would just give him a dollar every time that he did that. So people knew him. They were just very used to him being there. And from what I see, they appreciated him being there and what he was doing. That's interesting, you know, the the reverence that they have. Whether, like you said, they, they got saved or, or even came and visited the church or not, they respect him for the fact that, that he's giving them the truth. And, and they're, they're receptive to the fact that, you know, that this person is— I mean, in other words, if you look at that same scenario here, let's say in Corpus Christi, Texas, or any other city in the United States for that matter, 
you're probably not going to get that same treatment. <laughs> you know, uh, it just sure. It's one thing. Last night you talked about uh, one of the guys that down there, and he had got injured, mm-hmm. pretty pretty bad. Mm-hmm. You know, injury. I mean, to his leg, and but he was just he was in church like the next day. Mm-hmm. You guys are looking at him like you're crazy, man. Like mm-hmm. what are you doing here? And but he was in the spiritual battle. He knew he was in it. He's thinking, I'm a soldier. You mm-hmm. know. Ephesians chapter six. I just put my armor on and get back at it. Right. Yeah. He. Um, I, I feel like, and you alluded to this. You know, in America, it's almost like our our blessings have just hurt us a little bit. It's like you said. There's there's no there's no push right to get to that. You know, how are we really stretching ourselves? You mm-hmm. know, in our faith, are we? What are we really giving up? Right. Mm-hmm. What are we really sacrificing? I mean, these people, from the stories you've told, what they do have. They're giving almost all, you know, maybe speak to that a little bit, what you saw there, you know, with, with the people that were saved and were involved in the church, you know, how, just how committed they were. And it was very convicting. Now I will say this, there are men and ladies here in our church who I believe sacrifice. Sure. And I do believe that they have a heart to serve the Lord in yeah. every way that they can. And I certainly um, was generalizing when I said, you know, in America, yes. I mean, I, Yes, I would agree with you there. But. There, the way that they approached church, the way that they approached just the opportunity that they had to serve the Lord and the testimonies that they had, that one man who showed up the night that he was impaled by rebar in his leg. Mercy. His testimony was he grew up in a village upriver and some of the, uh, the drug cartels came in and kidnapped a bunch of children he was one of those children that was kidnapped wow that they trained to be a drug runner but he escaped and the lord saved him and now he's serving in the church there were testimonies like that everywhere and you just see a desire for them to give whatever the lord wants i will do it whatever they could do to make the church look better as far as aesthetically, you know, like outside brushing off the front of the church, that's just going to be dirty again in five minutes, but they wanted it to be nice. Ladies who were up there until super late at night, hanging up curtains and things to make everything look nice. They just, they just want to serve the Lord and they want to do it in every way they can. And when they are not able to do that, they do get upset. They don't want the Lord to be displeased. And it was humbling because I remember growing up, all the excuses I used to give for not going to church, all the reasons I used that weren't reasons at all, all the justifications that I had to not do what I knew I needed to do. Yeah. In many ways, I think they do have an excuse. Now, I'm not, let me, let me reword that. If anybody had an excuse, it would certainly be them over us. But they never took those excuses. To them, it wasn't even in their mind. Church is tonight. We're going to church. There are things to be done. I will do it. And they did it to the best of their ability. And it was very humbling and very convicting. Pastor, of uh, everything that you experienced there, is there one thing that you took away that that had an impact on you maybe uh, for ministry or your own personal spiritual growth? There's more than one. Um, 
what I saw with Brother Hernandez was he was a man of God. And I desire to be a man of God. I've been reading through First and Second Kings in my devotions, and it's amazing how many times the Bible uses the words man of God. And something that I haven't been able to stop thinking about is when the Bible uses those three words, man of God, it's a reminder that we are men and that we are sinners and that we do make mistakes and we constantly need to be learning and we need to be growing. The three of us, we will never cease to be men, but we should live in a way where we are more of God where people do look at us and say, yes, that is a man, and he isn't perfect, but he is a man to the best of his ability, and through God's grace, he is a man of God. That is one thing that I truly desire to be. But another thing was to open my eyes to the spiritual battle that is raging among us. We say it often, this is a spiritual battle and we wrestle not against flesh and blood and the devil is real and all of this. It was on a different level there. Even yesterday, the PA system was buzzing. Now, before I left, I would have looked at it and said, well, that's really annoying because we spent so much money on this PA system and it's just gonna buzz at us the whole time and be distracting. Yesterday, I was just thinking, well, He's here, and he wants to distract because he's the prince and power of the air. Every cell phone that goes off in the service from here on out, I will never forget who that is. Every dog that barks behind the church, every time the PA system goes on the fritz for no reason, uh, well, we say for no reason, I will remember what that is. When I see a good person who is usually joyful in their spirit, come to church and they're down that day, I won't remember who is fighting against them to bring them down. That is something I hope I never forget. Without going too deeply into it, I saw the devil fighting in different ways there than he fights here. And that is a rebuke against us here in America because I don't think the devil has to pull out the big guns for us. I think it doesn't take him much to discourage us and to bring us down. Honestly, I think he's using Nerf guns with us. Down there, he had to pull out all the stops. Just in that week that I was there, I saw things, experienced things, heard things. And while you're going through it, you don't even realize what you're going through. But then afterwards, when you put everything together, Think about this, gentlemen. Have you ever been in a service where you just knew God was there? Oh, yeah. Now, we are spiritual beings. We have body, we have soul, and we have spirit. But our spirit, I believe, is one of the more important parts, if not the most important part of our trichotomy. When you are in a service, when you feel the Lord, how does that affect your spirit? It lifts you up. It convicts you. It affects you in some way because you are a spiritual being and God is a spirit. And when his presence is there, you feel it. Why wouldn't you feel it on the other end of the spectrum when the devil is there 
and when the devil is fighting. Just like you can explain the Lord was in that service. I can't explain it, but he was there and he was moving. When the devil is there in a very real way, you can't explain it, but you knew he was there and he was fighting. And all you could do at that moment is hope that the Lord will help you and bolster you and give you the words to say and that he will win the battle for you. You know, the devil is very real and he's very powerful. You against him, you lose every time. You need the Lord on your side. Pastor, I want to uh, just maybe shift gears here a little bit because you also had a good time while you were down there. Oh, yeah. You, know, you saw some interesting things and obviously some, some great um, you know, spiritual battles and, and saw people saved. But uh, uh-huh. you know, sure you have a, maybe a story or two about while you were there, um, you know, something funny or something that you didn't expect. So it's, it's the stories that I can tell are funny because you don't expect them. Yeah. I mean, they're so outlandish. They're so crazy. Brother Jonathan even said a couple times, I, I don't tell these stories when I go stateside because nobody's going to believe me. They just kind of <laughs> stare back at me like, all right, you know, sure, whatever. Yeah. So he told a story of how he was going up river one day and there's a spot in the river. Well, there's spots in the river that are just known for pirates. I mean, law enforcement knows that they're there, but they really don't do anything yeah. about it. And nobody there has guns. Uh, the only people who have guns are law enforcement, and uh, businesses can file for one gun, and you have seven bullets. And if you ever expend those bullets, you need to go to the government and explain why you shot the bullets before they'll give you more. You're basically like Barney Fife walking around, right? Uh, so nobody has guns uh, except for the criminals, right? Yeah. So he's going up river and in a place known for pirates. And sure enough, he says he looks up and here comes a pirate boat straight at him. Now, you just need to let them take everything. You don't fight against them. They take everything. You hope that they'll leave some things behind. Right. But whatever they want, you give it to them. They'll take the motor off your boat. And you just sit there and let them do it. And then you go off to the side and maybe make some oars and try to go back. Uh, so he's saying, here comes this pirate boat. And then he looks on the other end of the river and here comes a drug boat. Now the drug boat is bigger and they have more men they have bigger guns Yeah, and they have, you know, the motors on the back so that they can outrun the police boats there. Uh, you're just not going to catch him. So he's thinking I've got, the pirates coming from one side and I've got the drug boat coming from the other. What in the world is going to happen? Well, the drug boat ends up going by, but then turns around and one of the men on the drug boat starts yelling at the pirates and saying, that's our pastor. You don't steal from our pastor. Leave him alone. And so <laughs> the pirate boat just goes on and <laughs> what <in the> name? <laughs> and brother Jonathan is like looking at the, the drug cartel and, you know, thank you <laughs> for saving my life. So he's telling me these stories and he's, he's probably thinking that I'm not believing him because I, I wasn't laughing. I wasn't saying, wow, that's crazy. I, I was just in shock, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's another story he was telling of how he was going up river and, 
when the river is low, it's very easy for there to be sandbars there that are kind of concealed. And mm-hmm. one of their boats, and it's a big boat, got stuck on a sandbar. And so you keep the motors running and you're trying to push through, but you have to jump out and try to push. Yeah, get and, the weight and, off and, the boat. Yeah, yeah, and try to clear things out. He said, so I'm out in the water and there's a couple other missionaries that are out there in the water. And uh, we were out there for a long time and we're just expending all of our energy. But then I hear from the top, there was a lookout on the top. And the lookout starts screaming, crocodiles, crocodiles. And he looks along the shore and there's full grown crocodiles that are starting to come into the water. And so they all start swimming back. And he said, now me and about three or four other men are in the water. And uh, one of the men was more heavyset. And he said, now... Me and one of the other missionaries were just good swimmers. I mean, we got back. He's like, I've never swam so fast in my life. But the other man, he he could not get out of the water. So he says, I come to the edge and I grab him by his shirt. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling him, you need to grab onto the boat. But he, he just kept on saying, I've got no strength. I've got no strength left in me. I don't know how close those crocodiles got. But he said it took pretty much all of the men on board to grab him like by his belt, by his feet, by everything, to barely pull him onto the boat before the crocodiles got there. Moral of the story, guys. One too many cheeseburgers. <laughs> not get away from the crocodiles. Exactly. <laughs> um, he's telling stories of how he'll go upriver and he'll meet with different uh, Indian tribes. And one of the times, uh, well, the tribes are always trying to get him to eat certain things grubs and alligator all these different things well one time he went up there with beef jerky Mm. and one of the leaders one of the tribal leaders were like you americans you always eat the the craziest things and you're you all are disgusting and all of this and brother jonathan's like try it just try it okay fine so the guy takes a little bite of it and he doesn't say anything he just chews and and Brother Jonathan puts it, puts it away. Well, about five minutes later, Brother Jonathan brings out the bag again. And you see the man walk up and put his hand out for more. So now every single time he goes up to that village, he has it. to bring beef jerky to, uh, to him. And that's hard to find. Uh, but whenever he comes to America, he buys beef jerky to you take. Send him a care package of Jack Links, huh? Yeah, 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 to take to that man. So here, Baptists, anytime we meet, we enjoy good food. Uh, with the family conference there, would you say it was the same? Yes. So, and they, they were very kind. They wanted to pull out all the stops because of the visiting pastor. So the first night we had Brazilian style hot dogs, which is something that they know brother Jonathan likes. And it's basically just like an Oscar Mayer hot dog, but instead of just laying it in the bun whole, they cut it up into pieces and then they kind of sprinkle it in there. There's some type of sauce in there. And then there's corn, just corn that's, that's sprinkled in there. It's mainly bread. I mean, the buns are bigger there than they are because it's filling, you know. And uh, so we had that one night. And then another night we had basically like empanadas. Mm. Uh, they fry a lot of things there, which, hey, I was, I was good with that. Uh, really good stuff. And then another night was rice and uh, Brazilian potato salad, some uh, like a noodle dish. And then another thing that they do is they take yucca. And it's called yucca there, but it's a plant. 
and they dry it and they grind it into a powder. It's very crunchy. And uh, what they do, and I didn't have it while I was there, but every morning, a lot of them wake up and they have a little cup of coffee and they take that yucca powder and they put it in their cup of coffee. And to me, it sounds almost like an oatmeal type Mm -hmm. thing. So they get the energy they need for the day from the coffee. And then the yucca doesn't have a lot of nutrients that it gives to them, but it expands in your stomach. So it makes them feel full for the rest of the day so that they don't have to eat a lot. Um, There's a certain type of fish, and obviously fish is big there because of the river. Right. Uh, There's a certain type of fish that you can only get there, and I cannot pronounce the name. I will not try. And I had that a couple times when I was there. And it was very good. I mean, you can have it fried. You can have it like a steak. You can have it in so many different ways. But that was a big thing. I mean, pretty much everything was fish. Um, the very last day, we were heading to the we were heading to the airport, and Brother Jonathan asked, like, "Is there any place that you want to go one last time?" And I asked him. I said, "Is there anything that you can only eat here? You know, I, I want to try something here." And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And we were driving past all the street vendors. And I was like, well, like they're cooking a bunch of stuff out there. Let's stop at one of the street vendors. He's like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Not going to do it. He said, you are not going to be sick all the way back home. You do not eat from the street vendors here. And I was kind of upset because it looked really good and it smelled good. But he's like, no, you, you don't eat from those places. You have no idea what it is. And there are dogs running around everywhere. So who knows? But, you know, in a way, it kind of made me feel at home. So. I don't know, man. I, I, <laughs> I saw some, I was going to say, I saw some stuff in South Korea, brother. Like, when you're walking on the streets down there, that I'm like, that looks like it had four legs at yeah. one point. I don't know if I want Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things here that we eat that we don't ask. I mean, That's we true. eat at Taco Bell. That's true. And you haven't it's seen. Probably worse. Taco yeah. Bell. You haven't seen that little dog that used to be on all the commercials in a while. So, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> you brought back those little, um candies that are like coffee chocolate mint whatever I can't, oh, i'm addicted man. to those things now i'm yeah. in trouble yeah juan valdez coffee chewy candies and uh, i only have a bag of them and i'm regretting it now because he said hey let's stop at that grocery store and get some more since you like them so much they're almost like a tootsie roll but they have a coffee flavor to it they're so good and oh man they're delicious and i'm regretting that we didn't go and get more because we're going to be running out real soon. I gave out some more this morning in chapel to the academy kids. Miss Gina probably got mad at me for that one. But yeah. uh, the food is very good. You have to be careful about some of the things because they don't wash it. And, uh, you know, you can you can get sick. But Brother Jonathan was there to, to watch everything uh, for me. There's fruit trees everywhere. Everywhere there's fruit trees. Yeah, what kind of fruits are prevalent there? Is it like a mango? Oh, is yeah. I mean, there there's huge, like 50, 60 foot tall mango trees yeah. on the corners of the streets, and they'll just fall down. You'll see people pick them up and eat it. And of course, there's a street vendor right next to them selling mango for money, right next to a mango tree <laughs> where you could just get it for free. There's guava tree. There's cashew tree. Now, we eat the the stem of the cashew fruit. Um, you know, that peanut-looking yeah. thing. They think that's disgusting there. They only eat the fruit. And it's very sweet. It almost looks like an apple. Uh, banana is very prevalent there. Coconut, obviously. Coconut is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so we had coconut while we were there. But there uh, lemon, citrus, you know, all sure. of that. Uh, but they're just everywhere. Just everywhere you look, there's some type of fruit uh, growing which is just incredible to me.
Well, Pastor, I mean, uh, you certainly gave us a, a, a sneak peek of what it was like uh, to be down there. Um, but I, I know that probably at some point we maybe get a, a church group We do need to go. go. Yeah. We do need to go down as a church, uh, maybe for one of his medical medical trips. Um, or when I would love to go when we're planning a church. Now, what does it mean to plant a church? Do we go and knock doors and say, hey, we're going to rent out this building? No. You go to the jungle upriver and you clear out a portion of the jungle. You camp out there in the jungle in a hammock for the first night. And then you hope you can build some type of platform the second day and at least get you up off the ground. The third day, you're building a roof on that platform so that you can be protected from the rain. Uh, you are going and building a church from the ground up. Well, we certainly appreciate um, you giving us some insights into your experience. There. Well, thank you for having me, and yeah. thank you to the church for allowing me to go. Amen. Folks, we thank you for joining us. We hope this podcast has been a blessing to you. Uh, we certainly enjoyed the conversation. Until next time, so long.